Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 31st annual Martin Foreman Memorial Lecture. I am Marie Ruel, Director of the Poverty Health and Nutrition Division at IFPRI. We have a packed and, and really exciting program for you today. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Dr. Yo Swinnen, who is IFPRI's Director General, and he will provide some introductory remarks. Yo, the screen is yours. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm delighted to welcome you all at the 31st annual Martin J. Former Memorial Lecture. IFPRI has had the pleasure of hosting the Foreman Lecture for 20 years now, since 2002, so that's a long time. This annual lecture commemorates the important contributions of Dr. Martin J. Martin J. Foreman made to international nutrition. Dr. Foreman, headed the Office of Nutrition at the U.S. Agency of International Development for more than 20 years. He was instrumental in drawing attention to nutrition planning. He played a critical role in the development of the United Nations Subcommittee on Nutrition, as well as several micronutrient initiatives all over the world. I would like to take this opportunity to also appreciate the commitment of USAID to the formal lecture series, as well as its leadership in the field of nutrition. We are delighted today that Sean Baker, the chief nutritionist at USAID, and Sarah, Sarah Charles, the assistant to the administrator of USAID, are here with us today. I would also like to recognize very much Marie-Marie Ruel's leadership in this, both for sharing the formal lecture selection committee, but for all her amazing work that, on nutrition that she and her colleagues at IFPRI have done over the past years and even decades. I want to thank warmly our selection committee members for the Foreman Lectures, uh, including Sean Baker, Alan Burke, Keenan Foreman, Marcia Griffiths, Mira Shikar, and Kelly Stewart. They have identified this year's speaker based on the great contributions to enhancing nutrition on the global stage that she has made. The speaker for the annual Foreman Lecture is invited to present her personal and often unconventional views on how to improve nutrition worldwide. I'm delighted to introduce this year's speakers, speaker, UNICEF's Executive Director, Henrietta H. Four. Ms. Four is a global champion of children and young people's rights and has built an extensive career focusing on promoting economic development, humanitarian assistance, and disaster relief in the public, private, and nonprofit sectors. Today, she will speak about children and young people's rights and struggles with the food choices that they face and the food environments that they face. She will share stories on how young people are playing an important role in transforming our global and our local food system. She will offer important views, perspectives on the next steps forward that can improve the world and our food systems. It's a very critical topic. Much of our work in IFRI and at the CGIR is focusing on the role of youth in food systems. Young, young people's participation in food system transformation is really crucial. It's the next generation, so they need to help build more inclusive, more sustainable, more resilient food systems. Young generations are vulnerable to both current and future impacts of climate change, but they also play a key role in climate adaptation, in fighting for climate adaptation, for new policies, new systems worldwide. You should also be at the center of the discussion 
of using the food systems transformation as an opportunity, not just a challenge, an opportunity to create decent employment and agricultural food systems, as well as extending social protection and encouraging consumption of more diverse, nutritious foods. Every year, we have the privilege of Dr. Foreman joining uh, and his family, sorry, we have the privilege of Dr. Foreman's family joining us for this important event for this lecture. Today, we are privileged to be joined by Dr. Foreman's son, Keenan Foreman. Mr. Foreman, we are honored that you and your family can join us to celebrate your farmers, your father's tremendous achievements in this field. I look forward to hearing your reflections on this, and then I look forward to hearing the reflections and thoughts of Ms. Four on food and youth, as well as reflections from two young panelists, Pauline Mapfumo and Victor Mugo. Thank you all very much for, for participating in today's events, and I very much look forward to hearing all the reflections and the discussions. With that, Marie, I'm passing the floor back to you. Thank you. Uh, yes, and I will pass it to Kenan for some remarks and, and maybe an introduction of his family. Thank you all so much, and, and thank you, um, Director General Swinon. It's, it's a true honor, and we're incredibly grateful to IFPRI for, for supporting this lecture for so many years. And, and obviously, the partnership with USAID is, is incredible, and, and um, we, uh, we're amazed at the effort that everyone puts in. Um, I have to say, the IFPRI staff is, has worked above and beyond this year in particular, and we're, we're incredibly grateful for it. Just from, from everyone, from uh, Melissa's tech setup and, and uh, uh, Katarla and Nicole and Charlotte for their work on the new Foreman website, which I, I hope you will plug uh, as well, Marie, but it's, it's amazing to see. And looking back, it's hard to believe so many years have gone by. Um, we're incredibly honored to have director for here. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing that um, we, we can have such a provocative lecture and, and look, and uh, we're, we're incredibly grateful. And I do have to mention everybody on the selection committee for their, their constant uh, commitment to this, but uh, Kelly Stewart, and of course, Sean Baker, um, Mira Shakar, Marsha Griffiths, Marie, um, your tireless work and guidance with IFPRI is incredible. And Alan Berg, um, thank you again for, for all of your efforts and guidance. And we're, we're honored to have you all here. Um, we are really lucky this year to have all members of the family present. Um, and again, we're not on site, but we feel more together sometimes uh, uh, this way virtually, and we can join across the, the country. But um, Sidra and John, uh, it's great to have you. And um, also Martin Lane is joining us from New York, where she is in school. and and. Uh, had her first experience this fall in a USAID office in Tunisia. And so she's obviously taking the mantle and, 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 and doing great work. And we're, we're incredibly honored to have Martin Lane here. Um, and uh, next to me, uh, Sasha, um, our youngest son, um, of course, my wife, Virginia, and uh, Noah, who is joining us from, from school in Maine. Um, as a freshman who just took a philosophy midterm, um, but we are incredibly lucky and honored and we are really looking forward to hearing what Director Henrietta Four has to say. So thank you all so much for joining us and, and thanks so much for being here.
Thank you, Kenan. And it's always nice to see the whole family for, for this event. Uh, it's great to have you. Um, so now I would like to introduce Sean Baker, who is Chief Nutritionist at USAID. Uh, and note that Sean, among other things, was a former lecture keynote speaker in 2013. Welcome, Sean. The screen is yours. Thank you so much, Marie, and it's wonderful to be back among everyone. Uh, a huge thanks to IFPRI for the continued leadership on the Foreman Lecture. And as Keenan said, the work you did to put together this archive of all the Foreman Lectures that's now on your website as of yesterday is really brilliant. It's a testament to how much this lecture has contributed to global nutrition. Uh, we're, we're gathered here today to celebrate Dr. Foreman's legacy and the visionary leader he was and at USAID, we really strive to live up to this legacy. Uh, it is an incredible inspiration, but it's also an incredible challenge that keeps us striving every day. Uh, we couldn't be more pleased that uh, Executive Director Four has accepted to do the lecture today because she does personify the transformational leadership that has been inspired by Dr. Foreman both her time leading at USAID, leading at UNICEF, uh, and in addition, chairing the Scaling Up Nutrition uh, lead group. Um, as we all know, in these times where our nutrition gains are being challenged by the COVID pandemic and the climate crisis, this type of uh, transformational leadership is needed more than ever. I think many of us were thrilled to see the level of leadership going into the Food System Summit and how strongly nutrition was positioned. The next big opportunity where we need leaders uh, to step up and make strong commitments is nutrition for growth at the end of this year being organized by the government of Japan. One of the ways at USAID we strive to live up to Dr. Foreman's legacy is through the Foreman Fellowship, which really supports the professional development of our foreign service nationals across the world who are lead technical nutrition voices in the field. Uh, these are rotational assignments that are really joint development uh, uh, between Washington and the field. Now, because of the pandemic, of course, we could not do the fellowship this year. But to me, what was incredibly inspiring is that they have been the backbone of keeping our USAID nutrition programs running during this time. And I think during these grand times of COVID, to me, so, there's been great solace in seeing how much that on the ground technical expertise and leadership on nutrition from our foreman fellows and from our implementing partners has led to incredible innovation tenacity and passion about keeping the flame of nutrition going at a time when it's needed more than ever um, i now would like to uh, turn over to sarah charles the uh, assistant administrator for the bureau of humanitarian assistance good morning good afternoon and good evening and welcome to the 31st annual Martin J. Foreman Memorial Lecture. My name is Sarah Charles, and I lead the Bureau of Humanitarian Assistance at the U.S. Agency for International Development, or USAID. I'm going to start by thanking the organizers of the Foreman Lecture and the International Food Policy Research Institute for inviting me to provide the introductory remarks today. As demonstrated by Martin J. Foreman himself, USAID has a long history of supporting global nutrition. Improving the dietary practices and nutritional status of women and children has always been at the core of USAID programming. Working closely with our partners, USAID has played a key role in identifying the causes of malnutrition 
and addressing them through a multi-sectoral lens. USAID has also invested in exploring how to improve nutrition through health system strengthening, principled humanitarian action, food security, and food system efforts. The nutrition programs that we support in the Bureau of Humanitarian Assistance save lives, prevent and provide treatment for malnutrition, and are critical to helping communities recover from disaster. Our work on nutrition and emergencies is far-reaching and has a meaningful impact, particularly for the estimated one in 33 people worldwide that are in need of humanitarian assistance and protection. In the spirit of Dr. Foreman's visionary leadership for nutrition and our collective efforts to live up to his legacy, I'm very excited about this year's keynote speaker, Ms. Henrietta Four. In a career that spans more than four decades, Ms. Four has a legacy of leadership on nutrition through development programs that advance the health and well-being of women and children and support optimal nutrition for individuals through humanitarian assistance. Her long-standing career in global nutrition includes leadership roles in public service, the private sector, and nonprofits. Ms. Four has worked to promote economic development, education, health, humanitarian assistance, and disaster relief. As UNICEF's seventh executive director, she is a committed and determined champion of nutrition and child health. During her tenure, she has spearheaded efforts to elevate wasting and maternal nutrition as priorities across the UN system. Most recently and notably, this led to the creation of the Global Action Plan for Child Wasting, which has brought renewed attention to the burden of wasting around the world. Ms. Four has also reached far beyond the UN as chair of the lead group of the Scaling Up Nutrition Movement, which brings together UN, government, civil society, donor, and private sector stakeholders to elevate and accelerate nutrition actions. Ms. Ford's leadership experience also extends to USAID, where she served as our first female aid administrator. In April 2008, as USAID administrator, Ms. Ford established the USAID Food Security and Food Price Increase Task Force responsible for increasing, for coordinating rather, USAID policy and new programs in response to the global food price crisis. She also presided over the development of a new USAID food security strategy and signaled among the US government and multilateral groups the pressing need to address the global food crisis and the impact that price increases had on vulnerable communities. Ms. Four was also a champion of the quality of food assistance she helped put in place measures that require USAID to invest in improving the quality of our support. The resulting investments in research have allowed the Bureau of Humanitarian Assistance to have even greater impact, saving more lives and reducing malnutrition. At USAID, Ms. Four was known for her support and kindness, paying visits to staff throughout the building and for her efforts to improve work-life balance across the agency. She has deep knowledge and experience in this sector, and we're incredibly grateful to have her share her expertise and reflections on nutrition, honoring the legacy of Martin J. Foreman. With great anticipation of today's lecture, let me turn it back to you, Marie. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah Charles, uh, for such a thorough overview of Director Forey's impressive and prestigious career. So without further ado, I am now giving you the floor, Ms. Forey, for our very anticipated lecture. Well, thank you very much, Marie, and thank you to everyone. Um, it is a great pleasure to see all of you on the screen this morning. 
the morning for me here in California, but um, I'm deeply honored by this. Uh, Dr. Foreman was um, a, a giant in our world, and I am just, I'm deeply honored. So let me share with you some thoughts this morning about what I've been hearing from young people. So um, let me talk about both food systems and youth. One of my favorite parts, in fact, probably the favorite part I have for being executive director of UNICEF is the opportunity to meet and hear from children and young people all over the world. And over the last four years, I've had the privilege to speak with children and young people, including those living in fragile and humanitarian settings and to hear firsthand about their aspirations for the future. They've also expressed their concerns about the state of the world that we all share and the significant challenges before us like climate change and conflict and poverty and barriers to education and to employment. Today, I will share a few reflections with you about what the children and the young people say that they are feeling <clears throat> and seeing and how they think about, <clears throat> pardon me, food what and how they eat <clears throat> and the environments that they live in. <clears throat> we'll also talk about the challenges that they face in getting nutritious, safe, affordable, and sustainable diets that they want and that they deserve. I will also talk about how children and young people are responding to these challenges and their ideas for transforming the food systems to make food and nutrition a reality for all. And lastly, I will share what it means to put children and young people at the center of food systems transformation today and the lead up to 2030. And then, as we've just heard, we're going to hear from some young people. So what are children and young people saying about their food? This past September, the UN convened a food systems summit. In the two years leading up to the summit, UNICEF staff around the world and our colleagues at Western Sydney University met with more than 1,500 children and adolescents in 25 countries. In the context of these food systems dialogues with children and adolescents, we also facilitated a poll with over 20,000 adolescents and young people responding. We wanted to listen to children's life experiences with the food that they eat, the food systems that they live in, and how they feel about those systems and what could change for the better. So what did we hear? Children and adolescents tell us that eating together with friends and family provides moments of joy and connection. They see their food as a reflection of their identity and their culture, and as a symbol of community and shared humanity. Children also know that nutritious food provides vital fuel for their growth, development, and learning. They tell us that healthy food is important for their physical and their mental health, their success at school, and their futures. But they see a disconnect between what they want to eat and what they do eat. Children and adolescents understand that the links between food production and availability in their homes and in their communities. Through these dialogues, we saw that children and young people have a strong understanding of where and how 
raw produce is grown, processed, packaged, transported to different places within their food environments. They understand that the poor availability, accessibility, and affordability of nutritious foods is linked to many factors, like limited stock in markets, long distances from farming areas, and problems with food distribution. They talk about poor infrastructure and road systems, hefty transportation costs, and how these problems prevent food from reaching their communities or cause it to spoil before arriving to them. Children describe how their ability to eat well is constrained by poor availability and affordability of nutritious and safe foods. And they have sophisticated understanding of what poor food availability means for their families. Children explain that when nutritious foods are too costly, they often turn to processed foods. They know that these foods are less healthy because they are rich in salt, sugar, and fat. Yet such foods are often cheaper and widely available. Children and young people know these foods are being heavily marketed to them and to their families through television and billboards and social media. And they also know that they like the taste of these snack foods. Children across the globe are also keenly aware of climate change. They see firsthand the harm it is causing to the food systems around them. In our dialogues, many cited global warming, environmental damage, and CO2 pollution as key concerns. They identified how climate change and global warming are causing droughts and how droughts are impacting the growth of food. They know that unsustainable food production is having a major impact on environmental degradation. The use of pesticides is often mentioned, and they are concerned about how the transportation of food via boats, ships, trains, and planes, especially over large distances, is contributing to air and to water pollution. Children notice how COVID-19 pandemic has worsened some of these challenges, especially with millions more families struggling to make ends meet. Children also shared with us the mental health challenges linked to unhealthy food environments, such as body image dissatisfaction, low self-esteem, and the stigma of living with obesity. They understand how many schoolmates and society blame people for being overweight, while at the same time creating unhealthy food environments that make it difficult to maintain a healthy weight. And they notice how advertisers and marketers push unattainable standards of beauty at the same time as children's food environments are flooded with promotions for unhealthy foods and beverages. Now I want to share with you how children and adolescents want to transform their local and global food systems. While children and young people are concerned about their broken food systems, they are clear about their expectations and their asks. They want governments and policymakers to be more accountable for creating and fostering food systems that protect child's right to nutrition. Making nutritious, safe, affordable, and sustainable diets a reality for children everywhere. 
They believe that governments should build the capacities of communities and support food producers to produce nutritious foods. For children, rebuilding food systems must start with the most vulnerable children, families, and communities. They want special considerations for children, families, and groups that experience the most insecurity and marginalization. During our dialogues, children made five key recommendations on what needs to be done to fix food systems and to protect the planet. First, invest. Children and young people want their governments to use targeted investment to improve access to nutritious, safe, affordable, and sustainable foods for everyone, especially for the most marginalized children and family and communities. Second, regulate. Children and young people have had enough of misleading marketing and health and nutrition claims on processed foods. They want their governments to adopt and enforce laws and policies that protect them, their families and communities from harmful food marketing practices, chemicals and preservatives and environmental destruction. Third, reduce. Children and young people are deeply concerned about our planet. They want governments, private sectors, civil society and their peers to take seriously the harmful impact of the current food systems on the environment and to prioritize sustainability, reduce overuse and curb environmentally destructive practices. Fourth, educate. Children and young people are calling for a better education about food, nutrition, climate change, environmental protection, recycling, and food systems. They want us to raise awareness about food poverty and nutrition inequalities, the benefits of nutritious foods and sustainable food practices. And lastly, engage. Children and young people, want opportunities to share their views and to participate in developing solutions. They want us to support them to take action in local communities and beyond. This last point on engagement is key because only through engagement can we put children and young people at the center of food systems transformation. Children and young people should be empowered as change agents and as partners to be fully capable of identifying and contributing to solutions. We ask children and young people how best we can engage in contributing to food systems and transformation together, how we can best engage with them. To ensure their insights and perspectives are heard, acknowledged and actioned. And this is what they said. Where possible, Children and young people want to engage through social media, including through spaces on platforms dedicated to children's voices. They want us to help establish and fund child and young person led bodies, such as student councils and youth parliaments. They want mechanisms to ensure their direct contribution to governments and to parliaments deliberations and decision making and they are calling for governments and institutions to have dedicated staff assigned to listen to children and young people. They are also asking government leaders and policymakers to come to them in schools and in other settings. 
Children and young people want to participate in workshops, open forum, panels, drawing competitions, and other venues that capture their needs, their rights, their ideas, and their aspirations. The infrastructure that we create to support these recommendations is absolutely critical. Children need platforms, spaces, and channels to express their views. They also need opportunities for direct contact with the people who can make their ideas a reality, those who are in power, whether through child-led bodies, participation in parliament, or open fora. But more than this, we need to go beyond voices and words. The next big movement will be for us to incorporate young people into our work. They can volunteer and work side by side with us in their communities. And this will be the best the next big leap forward. Many of us here represent organizations and agencies dedicated to nutrition. We too must promote meaningful participation by placing children and young people at the heart of policy formulation and program design, implementation and monitoring. Children and young people want to do more than advocate to us and talk with us. They want to get to work to do it with us, to put the solutions in place. So don't we have a way to do that with them? The participation of children and youth in the UN Food Systems Summit last September has showcased these challenges, and most importantly, the rewards of engaging children, adolescents, and young people as creators, partners, and collaborators, a vital force for food systems transformation, and we must continue these efforts. As we work to support the outcomes of the Food Systems Summit and the commitments in the Nutrition for Growth Summit, we must hold tight to our pledge to bring children's voices to the forefront of the decision-making process. At the same time, we need partnership and leadership from the private sector. The private sector is uniquely placed to develop innovative solutions, to strengthen food systems, to help build a world where nutritious and safe foods are available and affordable for every child and their families, no matter who they are or where they live. Today, broken food systems are undermining children's rights to nutrition and a viable planet and fixing them, particularly in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, may prove to be the greatest challenge of this generation. As we move forward, UNICEF will pay particular attention to four critical action areas where food systems must deliver for these children. And these are, first, improving children's foods through actions and public policy guidelines and standards, and with food supply chains including fortified foods, food supplements, and therapeutic foods. Second, improving children's food environments, where children live, learn, meet, through actions in public sector policies and programs, and in private sector practices and products, and in education for families, so good nutrition is practiced at home. And third, improving children's food practices through policies, strategies, programs that promote positive individual behaviors, caregiver practices, and social norms. Young people and social media can be great accelerators. 
And fourth, improving children's participation in food systems transformation by fostering opportunities for children and young people from all walks of life to raise their voices and engage with decision makers and hold them accountable. And even more importantly for children and young people to help implement those solutions and do it for them and with them. As they say, nothing about us without us. It is time to work with children and young people to transform the way the world produces, consumes, and thinks about food. Our children's nutrition and well-being and the future of our planet are at stake, and there is no time to waste. So thank you very much for patiently listening to my words, but now let me make sure that you have a chance to hear from young people themselves. I have requested two young friends with whom we've been working on food systems transformation to share their personal experiences and their own thoughts on this topic. So I'll turn first to Pauline, who is a young nutritionist and innovator from Zimbabwe, and then to Victor, who is a proud Kenyan a young entrepreneur and a food systems advocate. So let me first turn to Pauline. Pauline, over to you. Thank you very much. Um, I would also like to take this opportunity to thank ED4 and IFPRI as well for providing us with this great opportunity to share our insights. As a young person, if I am asked how many times I eat a full healthy meal in a day, once a day would be the most accurate answer. And this is probably true for the majority of the young people or youth worldwide. Challenges faced by young people in accessing healthy diets are becoming more apparent. And this was even more pronounced during the lockdowns. In my personal experience, key challenges I, my family and my peers face to have a nutritious, safe diet can be broadly summarized into five main issues, such as knowledge, affordability, accessibility, availability, and preference. Most young people don't know what is healthy and how to make a healthy plate. And in most cases, they cannot afford the healthy food or they have to go through a lot to access it. This is true even for those young people that may have adequate nutrition knowledge. Take me, for example. I am a nutritionist by profession and yet, I still struggle to eat healthy because of the unaffordable costs of the healthy foods. With food decisions by young people being driven by factors such as preference, nutrition knowledge, cost, more could be done to educate young people on better nutrition choices. Nutrition education, especially the chapters were taught during school years, does not really build our capacities to eat healthily, distinguishing between false information and facts. We're not given the tools to understand which foods are not healthy. The billboards and advertisements that surround us popularize and glamorize consumption of overprocessed and unhealthy foods and drinks. In addition, there are these celebrities and icons endorsing certain foods, especially the ultra-processed foods and beverages. This unregulated marketing of unhealthy foods often makes young people perceive unhealthy food as cool, thus shaping their preferences. And given how preferences, and I mean both taste, 
and visual preferences play a role in the decision making of young people. This kind of environment only adds to the creation of bad eating habits amongst the adolescents and youth. Everyone talks about the demographic dividend that a young population yields, how they contribute to the nation's growth. But for all this to happen, the society and the nations at large need generations with healthy bodies and nourished minds. And for this to happen, we need a food system that responds to the needs of people, young people that ensure that we have access to nutritious and safe food, which is affordable and also promotes planetary health. As a young nutrition advocate who is passionate about improving the nutrition, health and wellness of my fellow peers, I speak for all young people when I say, we want change that can help better our failing food system. And this can be done through one, innovations along the food value chain to provide safe, affordable, and diverse foods. To elaborate, the food basket should be broadened instead of using the same methods and focusing on the already existing notion that there is but one way to produce healthy foods. Use of a multi-sectoral approach is necessary in the creation of foods that cater to the diverse needs and preferences of the various cultures and groups in our population. Two, the use of science as a central point of innovation, assisting in technologies to have healthy food closer to home, making it locally available so that food does not add to the carbon footprint by traveling long distances make healthy foods tastier and visually appealing, options which can be preferred by young people. And young people should be at the forefront of such innovations as well. Three, provision of nutrition education to all sectors, especially in schools to allow children to learn as they grow about the benefits of good nutrition. Four, programming that helps improve school food environments and gives youth a voice to advocate for safer, healthier food environments. Five, supporting innovative solutions by young people. For example, the Yolo for Health digital app that which educates young people on nutrition that my friends and I created during a nutrition hackathon commissioned by UNICEF. And last but not least, six, policies on marketing of foods to children and food legislative actions that other countries have taken, have that other countries have taken, like improving front of the pack labeling. Thank you. I will now hand over to my fellow youth, Victor. Really great to be here, and thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, um, Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to all of you who are joining us from every corner of the globe. It is indeed really a pleasure to be speaking at such a forum and a dream come true to be speaking to all of you. Um, so first, let me just begin by stating how refreshing it is for a young person such as I, or even Pauline, to get this opportunity to speak at a, such a global event. And so I just wanted to appreciate IFPRI and UNICEF on being so purposeful in prioritizing children's voices, in prioritizing youth voices, in prioritizing meaningful youth engagement. Uh, and so I think these two organizations are setting the pace for which young people can be seen as equal partners, as co-creators of solutions, especially on matters 
matters that uh, really involve them. Uh, and so on behalf of all the youth, I want to register my appreciation and sincerely thank uh, each and every one of you. So one of the things that stood out uh, from ED4's speech, um, and my apologies for being so casual with this, and I believe one of the factors that really brings us here together is the recognition that our food systems are failing. Our food systems are failing for our health, they are failing for our environment, are failing for our livelihoods, and because of that, then they are failing for our children and also are failing for young people. Um, while this is bold to say, let me just evidence this through my own experience and the experience of many other young people um, in what I call the great disconnect. So first, I believe that there's a great disconnect between children and uh, our food systems, between the youth and our food systems. And from our end, we became so clear about this uh, from the Climate Smart Agriculture Youth uh, Network, um, which I lead. We became so clear about this when we uh, undertook a behavioral study to understand the youth perceptions on agriculture, on understanding children's perceptions uh, on food systems. Um, and so we undertook this study in a primary school, in a secondary school, but also in a tertiary uh, center of learning. Uh, and we asked them to paint the first thing that comes to their mind once the word agriculture was mentioned. Um, after that, we collected all the drawings, all the paintings, and uh, we tried to deduce what young people really think about uh, agriculture, what they think about our food systems, what they think about nutrition. And so what they drew was quite astounding. So because they drew a very old man, just showing that agriculture is not uh, for the young. Actually, um, young people think about agriculture as something that does not belong to them, but something that um, is handed over uh, by other people, is handled by other people. And secondly, it also shows that women, although play a big role uh, in the, our food systems, uh, they're not visualized as the face of agriculture. Secondly, the old man was uh, holding a garden hole. Uh, which uh, shows that there's very little space for innovation, very little space for mechanization, very little space for digitization uh, of our food systems. Then the old man was standing next to a grass-touched hut, uh, which is in the African setting is a symbol of poverty. And lastly, the old man was standing under the scorching sun, just showing that agriculture is difficult, is manual, and is backbreaking. And we also try to deduce what they think about and um, uh, what they think about nutritious food. And so we ask them to paint um, to uh, or draw or just write a word cloud about the first thing that comes to their mind once the word food is mentioned. And what they all drew is what we consider unhealthy food, junk food. So from this, I believe that the first step to transforming our food systems really should be changing the narrative about agriculture. It is also changing uh, and helping children and youth appreciate their food, the process of growing food, and uh, the people who grow their food, uh, and so that they can see food not just as a means to fill their stomachs, but a way to nourish their bodies, a conduit for which they can uh, be able to develop. So second, I see a great disconnect between agriculture and the environment, our food systems and nature. Uh, for me as a young farmer, um, Climate change is not something that I hear on the radio, see on the TV, or read on the papers. It is something that I experience every season, sometimes every season. At the moment, uh, in my country, uh, as well as in East Africa and Madagascar, uh, we are facing what we call a climate-induced drought, uh, which is leaving quite a number of uh, million people uh, are vulnerable. Our neighbors on the south continue to experience tropical cyclones, devastating floods, and we still haven't recovered from the locust crisis that hit our nation. So we believe, we all know what happens in the time of a crisis. It is children, 
it is young people, it is women who are disproportionately affected and are most vulnerable. And so we need to think about uh, ensuring that our food systems do not continue to uh, exacerbate ecological scarcities. And also we need to ensure that we improve children's food environments in a bit to nourish the world. Uh, and in this then climate change should be a top priority. Then lastly, I see a great disconnect uh, in, and I think other young people see a great disconnect between our food systems and the aspect of nutrition. And so in the process of the UN Food Systems Summit, um, I was the co-chair to the Youth Liaisons Group, and we collected views from about 100,000 young people. I think UNICEF um, as well conducted this uh, with children and adolescents. And I think while all other priorities were changing, the top priority for young people was not changing. Uh, their top priority was that everyone, everywhere, should have access to a healthy, nutritious, affordable, and sustainable diet. So for the youth, we do not only want to feed the world, we want to nourish the world. We do not only want to achieve zero hunger, we also need to fight hidden hunger. And as the youth, we are not spectators uh, as our food systems are failing. Uh, we are at the center of its transformation. I, for one, uh, are, is leading a program on Nutri-Schools uh, where we plant and avail bean varieties that are high in iron and zinc uh, to schools so that adolescent girls do not need to face iron deficiency that causes anemia. So food is medicine, food is critical for education, and children can't focus in schools if they are hungry. We already know how school feeding can be a crucial way to enabling vulnerable populations to achieve a pro proper nutrition. And by preparing this, uh, even with nutrition education, by working with parents to grow and consume these beans, uh, we know that we can take accelerated steps uh, to progress in fighting micronutrient deficiencies. With such gains, that is why we cannot continue to pay lead service uh, to our agriculture and our food sector, as there's a great connection between our food systems and nutrition. And with this great disconnects, how can we bridge these gaps? And I think I take inspiration from Martin J. Foreman's work um, in what he called, I think I, I saw three ways in which we can be able to accelerate um, our uh, achievements in terms of uh, nutrition. One is urgency. So the issues that we've discussed here, uh, issues of malnutrition, issues of climate change are really an emergency. We are not on track to solve them. And so we need to treat them uh, with a heightened sense of emergency and urgency. Second is kill. I think that there are very many pilots across the world. So what we continue to do is to create islands of brilliance, pockets of good action here and there. But what we need to do is to change these islands of brilliance into a sea of action. We need to scale proven and evidence-based initiatives that work to reduce the triple burden of malnutrition across the globe. And lastly, uh, if there's anything that we have learned from the UN Food System Summit is that no one can be able to do this uh, alone. No one can solve the complex issues in nutrition alone. We need each other. And I dare say, we need the youth. As uh, ED4 had previously mentioned, nothing about us without us is for us. Uh, but I am encouraged by the African proverb that says that when a village comes together, then they can even mend a crack in the sky. So there's a crack in our sky and the global village should not rest until everyone everywhere can have access to a healthy, nutritious, sufficient, affordable, and sustainable diet. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you. Incredibly powerful presentations. Um, th thank you for um, EB4.
for such an uplifting and stimulating presentation. It was wonderful to hear from the two representatives, youth representatives. Um, what I feel is that in, in these times of hardship that we've had with, uh, with COVID, with the, the, all of the bad news about uh, climate change and about food systems failing, this session was incredibly optimistic and positive and provided real asks from, from the people that want to help and want to do more. So I, I just think it's, it's incredibly positive and, and we need that. Uh, we need to hear from them. I was particularly pleased with all of, of, the, the, uh, all of the recommendations, but I like that uh, the youth is asking to be empowered. They're asking us to build their capacity on eating healthy diets. It's, uh, it's not just the youth who needs that. And we haven't really figured out how to empower populations about eating better and about knowing how to differentiate between what is palatable but not, not good for you and, and, and what is good for the planet and what isn't. Um, so I, I just think it was incredibly insightful and, and uh, uplifting and, and stimulating. Um, so now I have to make an announcement. We, uh, we, uh, we have some questions already that, that have been posted, but a reminder, uh, that if you want to ask questions, please uh, uh, submit your questions on ifpri.org, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or by using hashtag AskIfpri on Twitter. So um, before uh, we get more questions, I will just start with a few. I will start with um, some questions for EP4. Uh, a question from Ramesh Deshampe. Uh, what is UNICEF and its member countries doing to enlighten civil societies to take care of their young people? Well, let me start, Marie, with um, just uh, saying that whenever there is a, a lecture like this, isn't it fun to have the voices of the young? Um, it is very powerful. So if you take that and you think about what UNICEF can be doing in countries, it is creating public-private youth partnerships. And when you do that, it changes how people will think about food systems within their countries. So first is education. Make sure that in the schools, children and teachers understand what the issues are. And to your point earlier, it's a very complex system that we have for food and how it moves through each of the countries is a bit different and yet, there are areas of similarity. So education is number one. Second is that we really need to talk to governments, that they take ownership in the scale up nutrition movement. It is one of the areas that we can see real uh, forward strides when a government understands that the food system is a system and that it needs repairing and modernizing, it makes a difference. And third, I would say that we need to all talk to the young people about uh, taking to heart that this is a modern uh, area of interest. So uh, Victor outlined what many children thought about. It was an old man um, in the hot sun tilling uh, a farm. But really becoming a young farmer means that you learned about 
water uh, conservation and soil conservation. You, you learn about nutritious foods. Being a nutritionist like Pauline, you're at the cutting edge of what human and plant science and discovery is learning about nutrition and what plants and human bodies need and how they are growing. And the whole sector, whether it's an agricultural economist, is looking at artificial intelligence, at geo-mapping, at how we can move these systems forward. So governments need to understand this. We need to get these skills into our education systems so that young people learn them. And so they see this as an exciting profession, uh, just as Dr. Froman did. Thank you. Um, another question, which is also about the how, um, is uh, comes from Phyllis Oyugi, who says, how to engage and involve the youth and children from a young age in schools to embrace healthy, nutritious foods as tastes, choices, and habits are acquired early. So I think it's it's digging a little bit more into um, not just educate and inform, but, but how to really make it part of, of the curriculum and to focus on healthy, nutritious foods. So Phyllis is absolutely right. It has to start early and it has to be a, a deep understanding of which foods. And we can affect a child's interest on their own tastes if we prepare those foods at home. But we have found in survey after survey that many mothers do not know, and many are young mothers. So when you're an adolescent, have you learned enough to know what a nutritious meal is for a newborn, for a um, two-year-old, for a four-year-old? Often um, you have not, and you need to. And so we have to make this um, a, a system, a, a system of education, a system that is deeply ingrained within our private sector and government partnerships so that we can come out of a Nutrition for Growth Summit and we can have real plans in every country on how to do this. Uh, but we'll have to do it as a group. So Phyllis, bring in all of your ideas. Thank you. Um, another question, with all the things that have happened over the past years, if I were asked, uh, if I were to ask you to share one key message to young people to motivate and inspire them, what would that be? Well, it, prevention of um, poor nutrition is the most important thing we can do. So if, um, if a young person can learn what it means to be um, healthy, to eat in a healthy way, and can pass it on to your younger brothers and your younger sisters, can pass it on to your mother, to your father, that will change the world. It's difficult, but if young people can take the lead in this, um, because they're more educated, they're thinking about how to learn things digitally on their cell phones, and they have lots of access to information. And we have wonderful people like Pauline and, and Victor. So that if we can spread the word in social media and in other ways to just talk about prevention, how we can, and how we can prevent malnutrition, it will go a long way to solving the world's problems. 
Um, a more general question, what is the main reason for focusing on youth when it comes to food? Well, youth are our investment. Um, they are our future. So uh, if we can get it right with the youth and the generations to come, we'll all be in a better position. So we know that they're the start, they're the spark, they're everything. It's also that youth can change each other's minds. You know, the peer influence makes a difference. So on social media, if we all become kinder to each other and that we do not criticize each other uh, about how we look, um, if we don't criticize each other uh, uh, and make people feel um, hurt, uh, it will make a big difference. So young people can help their generation in a way that our generations are all grown up and we try to help each other when we're grown up. But if you can do it early, uh, that will make it so much better for everyone. So start with the young, invest in the young, and you will have solved many of the world's problems. I will move now to a couple of questions for our youth representatives for um, Victor. Um, a question from Kabuye Jafari Matungo. How can you be convinced that conservation agriculture is sustainable? Um, in my own estimation, I don't think young people need convincing that uh, uh, conservation agriculture is sustainable. Actually, what we've discovered from my own experience, but also some young farmers that I interact with uh, at the Climate Smart Agriculture Youth Network, is that young people are really passionate about their futures. So anything that jeopardizes their future is something that they will stay away from. But anything that uh, brings them uh, closer to a more sustainable future is something that they will kindly embrace. So we've seen this um, that uh, conservation agriculture, climate smart agriculture, sustainable agriculture, really uh, being young people taking the front on this and even leading um, and changing even the appearance on adopting such practices. We've also seen climate smart technologies really attracting young people to agriculture. So I really think that sustainable agriculture is the way, especially for young people, and young people really are taking a lead in, the, in this, and with the structures of support. Uh, if they are build their capacity, if there's uh, adequate financing, if they can get access to land, then they can even do greater things uh, in our food systems. Thank you. And now a question for Pauline uh, from Priscilla Bayo. How can you be empowered to make right food choices in emergencies when there is no food production or any income generating activities? That's a difficult question. <laughs> Um, thank you very much. So I think in this situation, um, there is, this is where disaster preparedness in nutrition education come into play. The youth have skill sets that need to be sharpened. I think if we can make, if we can find a way to make um, youth self-sustain, self, like self-sufficient through nutrition education, and also having to educate them on how to um, respond in emergencies, it would empower them more because they can then think for themselves without having to wait for, for, for other people to produce food when they can learn to produce food by themselves, without having to wait for funds when they can find ways to acquire what they need, the resources they need by themselves. Self-sufficiency can lead to um, a sustainable lifestyle in the future, but what is required is the training, sharpening of the sharpening of their skill sets, um, 
knowledge, nutrition education needs to be um, implemented and it needs to be disseminated to the youth so that as they work, as they as they utilize their skills, they can do it um, in such a way that will benefit them um, in order to make them um, more aware of what they need to acquire the healthy diets that we speak of. Thank you. Um, now back to EV4. Um, a question from Jodzeka Marion. What policies have been put in place by UNICEF to ensure youth have a role in agriculture? So we've been working with um, many governments around the world to make sure that there are good programs and that food systems work. But as we all know, food systems um, are long. So it can be a from a rural community, um, the actual agriculture to um, the transportation, the storage, um, making sure that uh, we don't have post-harvest loss. Uh, and then ha what happens to that food? Is it processed or not? And how does that work? We're looking at um, a number of systems. So uh, systems for farmers so that they have set amounts of payments every month and they do not have to live at the vagaries of um, uh, climate um, disruptions so that they have an income for their families. It means that they can be more innovative to Victor's points. Many young farmers um, see it not yet as a uh, vocation that they can um, go into because they're just afraid that they can't earn any money. And if uh, governments can work with private sector and if you can create systems where farmers can see that they can make money, either if it's a, a new kind of a bean or if it is a micronutrients, it, but if they can see that they can make a living, young people will head there and so will the companies, they will head there. So UNICEF tries to work on many, many routes to be able to change the food system. Um, having a policy in a government is extremely important, but having this food system chain work all along the chain. So there's a little bit of income of profit all along the chain makes a difference. And then if you can weave in the education so that the consumers, so that the families are actually asking for this kind of nutritious food rather than that kind of less nutritious food. And if we can get it to them so that it's affordable and accessible, uh, I mean, UNICEF is working on all of these. We work with IFPRI, we work with FAO, with the World Food Program. Um, so we're working in humanitarian and in development contexts. Uh, we work in most countries in the world on nutrition, but it's still, uh, we need this community to raise our voices. This is our moment when people are really thinking about food systems, but they are systems and we need to talk about them. So. Um, we're working in every country. We can use more public and private partners and young people as partners. So public-private youth partnerships is our future. Um, a question from Mohammed uh, Juma Adiga. How possible is it to encourage youth from pastoral backgrounds to integrate crop production, to diversify food production of underdeveloped nations? So USAID has a long legacy in this work, and it's really um, a powerful and strong legacy. Um, 
I think that there are a lot of good models out there. And sometimes what happens is that we don't share the models. So if one can put them up on the Global Development Commons and other platforms within the World Bank and others, I think it can change um, this uh, sector. But uh, often we create um, uh, these, these terrific pilots and then we don't have the money to scale it up. So the financing, the scaling of these um, insights, of this knowledge is important. And so I would start with USAID and their deep, deep knowledge on nutrition. Um, a question from Tapiwa Magaisa, Nutrition SBC Specialist at Chemonics International. What is the level of interest in agriculture among youth? Uh, and what challenges are they facing in participating in food production? Well, this is probably better for um, Pauline and Victor to <laughs> respond to. But what I hear is that youth don't feel it's a forward-looking profession, but you can see it is it's at the forefront of what the world needs and what the human population needs and what our plants and our our ecosystem as a world needs, the sustainability of the world. So we have to help more in talking about how these are forward-looking activities and you have to learn the green skills. Paul, Pauline talked about getting skills. So if all of us who are on um, this call can do a quick video about what your work is like, you know, just 20 seconds, inspire young people to be like you, to be working in this world of nutrition, it will make a difference. We have to inspire them. We haven't done a good enough job. Um, they're not carrying uh, this forward-looking way to make um, uh, a livelihood for yourself and to help your planet. They'd be really excited if we could make this case. So let's go make it. Yes, uh, Victor or Pauline, would you like to add to that? I think uh, this is about agriculture. Maybe Victor would, would like to uh, uh, give it, uh, his answer on how to get uh, you, the youth excited about agriculture. How did, it, how did you get excited about agriculture? Uh, uh, absolutely, and I completely agree with uh, AD4. Uh, that there's a need to change our perception about how agriculture is. Um, and that's the first space. Um, I remember when I was a young person and I was in school and um, I was asked what my parents do in, uh, at, at, at home. So what was my parents' occupation? And uh, while I was very hesitant to answer that question, um, uh, the teacher asked me to say it. And so I said that my parents were farmers and the whole class burst out laughing. And so my aim was to study as hard as possible, to run away from the farm. Uh, but there's a, uh, my, my perception was changed once I got into uh, Agra, the Alliance for a Green Revolution in Agra, uh, as an intern. And so I was able to see the importance of agriculture and not just um, agriculture as a way 
to just um, transfer generational poverty, but also agriculture is, is sustainable. Agriculture is something that uh, can be um, uh, economically satisfying and also socially rewarding. So um, I have changed my perception about that, uh, but changing the perception is the first space. Uh, so what about we provide them young people with the structures of support, the ecosystem of support so that they can thrive as they do um, their farming as young farmers. So yeah, actually young people do not see I do not want to get into agriculture. They want to get into agribusiness, agriculture as a business, uh, such that there is a, a path for them to get um, rewards, economic rewards from it. Uh, and so I think once we provide them with the structures of support, uh, access to finance, um, access to uh, land, uh, which sometimes is a great challenge, uh, providing them with mentorship and also capacity building, then young people can be the vanguards of our food systems. Great, thank you. Uh, I, I, I think we should ask uh, Pauline then uh, the same question about how do we get uh, the youth excited about nutrition? I think my issue goes back to what I mentioned um, prior in my speech about giving them something that um, appeals to their preference, given how youths are driven by their preferences. That is, does it look visually appealing? Does it taste nice? Because most of the times you find that when you are speaking to, when I'm speaking to my fellow um, young peers and I mentioned that I'm a nutritionist, the first thing they say is, oh, you're the one who tells us to eat vegetables. Um, we don't like vegetables. They don't look like they're delicious. So finding a way of producing food that looks visually appealing, that looks like it would taste nice, but still maintaining that healthy aspect um, and then also giving them enough information for them to read to fully understand that nutrition is really important um, is I, I think is another way of um, getting people excited and also you um touching on the key strings on what um, makes young people tick for example social media platforms in this pandemic and um, in during this time where we're in a pandemic people are now health conscious they are slowly realizing the importance of nutrition and it was in an it was from a negative point of it was from a negative um perspective but then it did start getting people talking especially young people talking about eating right um so i think um give providing situations and giving them enough knowledge and also appealing to the things they like can get people interested in um nutrition a question that was uh, anonymous and addressed to both of you. Um, I wonder what our youth colleagues see their role in addressing pre-post-harvest losses and food waste, especially for nutritious and pricey foods. Thank you. Um, so I think one of the greatest um, things at this moment in time is youth engagement is coming to play and we are getting platforms like these to voice out our opinions. We find that most times, maybe let me speak in the in case of where I come from. Pro food production is usually one-sided. If there is a set if a set food crop that is being produced, everyone produces it, which means that there is probably going to be a higher waste rate. And then for the minority, for the minor foods that are produced, they will likely be more expensive, even if they are healthy. So I think diversity when it comes to food production um, can help in curbing that issue of having food waste um, from the from different harvests um, 
as well as helping in reducing um, prices because there is a variety of food crops that are now being sold. That is my outlook on this. Victor, over to you. Thank you so much, Pauline. And I think the problem with pre and post harvest losses really is something that um, we need to speak about, especially as young people. Uh, we do realize that a third of all the food we produce goes to waste and which is totally unacceptable. Um, and if you look at this, then this also has an effect on our climate. Uh, so about 17% of all greenhouse gases and about 13% of all greenhouse gases come from yeah, pre and post harvest losses. And so I think this is um, uh, unacceptable. And, and what I've seen is, uh, and, as, and mentioned this, that young people are really passionate about uh, their futures. And so by letting them know about their eating habits, uh, also knowing uh, that by what they do, um, then they contribute towards climate change, that they are uh, exacerbating a, a global challenge uh, in food systems, then young people really would be quite invested in uh, getting uh, to uh, solve the challenges of uh, uh, pre and post harvest losses. So uh, young people really, I think, uh, can be the vanguards of our food systems, as I said before, and post harvest losses can be a, an avenue for them uh, to, their, to get engaged. Actually, post harvest losses can be an opportunity for cold chain storage, can be an opportunity for um, young people to invest even in solar drying and such opportunities. So we can look also at post harvest losses and a, as a business opportunity and a conduit for which young people can get into uh, our food systems and agriculture sectors. Marie, may I add into this question? Of course, of course. Um, so um, Pauline and Victor both bring up uh, a, a very good point, which is there are many new innovations that are coming into the sector. So, um, you know, we are seeing things like um, dried egg powder, uh, the grinding of avocado seeds, um, uh, uh, kelp, dried kelp being used as a nutrient uh, for plant fertilization. There is so much that's changing that we are learning about food systems and the circularity of food systems that there are going to be so many business opportunities for young people in how we deal with what we thought was waste, like a seed or a husk or uh, something else, but really can be recycled in a good way to be ecologically sustainable. And it creates opportunities. So the more that we can highlight these areas and to Pauline's point, get the diversity into geographic farming regions so that people have more opportunities for businesses. The excitement of being an entrepreneur, of starting a business in an area that could be um, affordable, accessible, could help on nutrients. I mean, it would be what Dr. Foreman would have wanted for the young people. And it, it's a time of real opportunity, but we need to help talk about it and advertise it and, you know, organize it with the financing and the training that it becomes an opportunity for young. Thank you. Um, another topic, um, what is the most important, uh, uh, this is a comment or a question from Julie Howard from CSIS. Um, what is the most important thing to do at the country level to turn the positive momentum generated at the UNFSS? into real change for youth? Well, since um, Pauline, Victor, and I are all doing this lecture as a trio, I'll start. Um, so um, I, I think the, uh, 
sort of really important area for us to be thinking about uh, with governments is they put enough attention and funding behind a food system. What has happened under COVID is that all countries are really stretched in their budgets. The debt levels for the developing world are very, very high. And so if you are a finance minister, you are thinking, you know, if I can postpone my debt, then I'm going to put it into uh, getting some vaccines for my country and hopefully some syringes and some training and transportation for the vaccines. And you're not thinking about the food system. And yet the food system is absolutely basic. And it is something that if you can modernize it, if you can streamline, if you can take the waste out of it, if you can make it sustainable and affordable, you will have changed your country. And it's starting in some of the countries. So if we can catch the attention of the governments with good plans, and we can catch the attention of the finance ministers and the prime ministers, that will make a difference. So CSIS, go get them. Uh, Victor or, or Pauline, do you have anything to add? Yeah, let me add this, uh, that the UN Food System Summit was really a momentous opportunity, really for the whole globe. Uh, what, it did, what it did for nations is to elevate their um, discussion on food systems. And not just speaking about agriculture in its own, it was speaking about agriculture, nutrition, um, uh, the aspect of climate change. And so speaking about a whole perspective, a whole system and not just uh, one system. And so because of this, then governments have been able to realize the importance of food systems. Um, so actually some of them are looking at food systems as a cure for some of uh, our medicines. So uh, for some of our challenges and diseases, um, if we eat right, then there's a very uh, likelihood that uh, we can be able to withstand even the COVID pandemic. And so improving on nutrition um, is really important. So uh, what we have right now are national pathways. Um, and so these countries have been able to realize how important food systems is. And so I think uh, the work begins really to help uh, these nations to be able to achieve their national pathways. Uh, it will be really disheartening to that uh, all that investment in discussions um, in our finances that went into the food systems to go to waste. Uh, so what we hope is that now we can work together, uh, governments, private sector, different constituencies, the young people, uh, people who are from indigenous communities, uh, the private sector, all of us can work together towards uh, transforming our food systems. Thank you, Victor. Is uh, Pauline, or would you like to answer that also, or uh, should I jump to a nutrition question? <laughs> um, please jump to okay, a nutrition yeah. question. I think my colleagues um, pretty much covered Okay, everything. good, good. So a question from uh, Jane Lowicki Zuka. Senior Youth Advisor at USAID RFS. Would, uh, would you speak about what works in programming with youth to address their own nutrition needs and support their nutrition roles? Um, I think uh, my colleagues will also add more on this, but I think nutrition education is first because we cannot work under the assumption that um, all youths know about health. So there's definitely need for dissemination of accurate information. Um, and then engaging them to also hear their perspectives on what they think about healthy foods. And then 
picking their brains as well to try and see what innovative ideas they can come up with to contribute to um, their health and um, their, their, the production and access of healthy food, as well as dissemination of more information of um on health and nutrition to their fellow youths because they can understand their language um this would also be me referring back to some of the programs that have been um hosted i think the hackathon, the nutrition hackathon that was hosted in 2019 was one of the best platforms where nutrition was playing a central role um in in youth engagement and involvement and also um centralizing on the innovations of the young people in youth in health and nutrition thank you um a question uh for ide four um from jacinter okech unicef liberia where agriculture is the main livelihood women form a large part of the labor force often experiencing energy depletion how do we ensure that this doesn't happen? So Jacinta, uh, we're going to need your comments in the chat box on what you think would be would be best. One of the things that strikes me is that sometimes as women and as young women, uh, we don't know that we need a certain nutrient. So let's say iron deficiency among adolescent girls. Sometimes we don't know it and we become anemic. And I think all of us have either experienced it or we've had um, girlfriends who have experienced it to the point of where um, they became seriously ill. So how do we help with that? How do we help um, uh, girls and young women uh, eat in a in a way that they can keep their bodies going, whether they are young farmers, <laughs> they are women out in the fields, or whether they're trying to study in a classroom, um, whatever their stage in life. We need to pay particular attention to girls and women. Their nutritional needs um, are sometimes different. Um, and it is extremely important that as they become young mothers, that they are thinking about their nutrition so that children are born in a healthy manner. The, the research, as you know, in UNICEF about um, the nutrition levels for young mothers in Africa versus South Asia of um, newborn babies that are born and their nutritional standing in um, Africa and in South Asia is different because of diets. So nutrition is multi-sectoral. And if we can start with nutrition at the heart, it will make a difference. So Descendi, you're absolutely in the right area, which is thinking about the women who are in farming and agricultural communities. And we've also got to think about the many women and children that are fleeing from conflict. It is happening now uh, more and more often around the world. And when you begin to flee and you do not have food with you for yourself or your children, it becomes very difficult. And the stories about uh, the families that are eating leaves and others, it's not enough. The water isn't clean, um, diseases begin to spread. So if we can look after holistically uh, the life of a, of a woman, of a 
of her her transition from being an adolescent to a young mother it will it's a key period in life and it will be important for all of us thank you victor would you like to add yeah, I, I would want to weigh in on uh, the previous question that was asked by Jane from um, USAID uh, on some of the proven interventions, especially in terms of nutrition uh, and, and in programmatic interventions in terms of nutrition. Um, and, and I would want to say that if you want to look at nutrition, especially from young children, uh, looking at uh, youth and adolescents, I think school feeding will be a great um, uh, opportunity for us. So we see very many young people in schools, we see very many young children in school, we see very many adolescents in schools. And so uh, having uh, a connotation where school feeding is made mandatory in all countries, I think will be a great opportunity for first people to get food, and second, a great conduit for which we can be able to uh, pass on nutritious uh, food to children. Um, I, I, I became, I, I realized this, and so that's why we even formed uh, the Nutri School uh, program, where we are growing high iron beans, and the greatest. Um, people who we are growing this for is for schools, just to supply mainly to schools. Uh, and these beans are high in iron, and especially uh, in East Africa, where beans, uh, where East Africa has the highest per capita consumption of beans in the world, then this can be a great conduit for which they can be able to get nutritious food. Actually, it is, uh, we discovered that uh, in schools, uh, sometimes, uh, uh, young people eat uh, um, beans about four times a week, four to four to five times a week, and they just pair it with a different starch. Uh, and so uh, uh, school feeding can be a great opportunity, especially in terms of nutrition. And I was really glad to see uh, after the UN Food System Summit, uh, this coming out um, as a coalition where uh, very many organizations are coming together to think about uh, how we can be able to uh, improve school feeding and make it even uh, scale it even in countries that do not have it. Uh, we have just a few minutes left. Um, I uh, would like to ask one last question to Ed4. Um, how, the, how can the global community organization like yours uh, and others can support young people in their advocacy with governments? Um, lots of ways. So um, we've been talking a lot about youth councils and um, in cities uh, having uh, youth leaders who are the ones who decide what the community needs. And in some cases, they have their own budgets, which means that they can really put them behind the most important areas for their community. So uh, number one is uh, getting education out to the schools and reaching the young people and then gathering them and making sure that there are events and places that they can make their voices heard to the members of their country. So whether it's parliaments or ministers or social media or press releases, um, all of that helps. And so UNICEF is behind all of it. I think that in the future, one of the areas that we need to think about is how we can do with private companies because the private companies uh, become interesting and exciting for young people because they think, oh, well, there could be a job there. And as you know, young people are all looking at how they can make a livelihood, what they can do to make a difference in the world. And we want them all to become Pauline and Victor. And so 
if we can if we can open up those opportunities and um, with businesses and with nonprofit organizations do mentoring of the young people uh, so that their voices are heard and so that they see what the opportunities are they will create new solutions so they will come up with solutions in their communities and then we need to try to gather the financing around it and get them in place and get them scaled up so that we change the food systems. If food systems are broken, we're going to change it as a group, all of us together. And the young people should be at our side doing it. Their voices, but also rolling up their sleeves and helping and getting paid something for helping us. Thank you so much. And um, I, I wish everyone could be there physically joining me in thanking you, Edipori for such a powerful lecture and for bringing in two youth representatives. You have been fantastic. It was wonderful to hear from you. Uh, so I think uh, this was a really an exceptionally interesting and, and stimulating um, lecture, both in terms of content uh, and also in terms of the format of, of really bringing the voices of the youth and, uh, and selecting them very carefully. So um, uh, thank you again. And uh, for everyone, please uh, check out our new webpage uh, on the Foreman Memorial Lecture website. You will have surprises. Uh, it's quite a legacy uh, that we have of, of many, many very important pillars in nutrition that have given presentations over the years. So thank you very much and have a great day.